Amen and amen. Thanks to our worship team and uh, to our technical team here as well. Our scripture reading this morning, a New Testament reading to accompany Psalm 85, uh, is from John chapter 14, John 14, beginning with verse 27, and reading through the 31st verse, John 14, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Amen to this reading of God's holy word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning, Father, that you would open our eyes so that we might see the gospel truth. We pray that you would unstop our ears, Lord. Pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would be moving in our hearts, uh, reminding us that your word indeed is living and active. And we give you praise always in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Louisiana, I believe we're in, uh, we've begun day 14 of the government-recommended quarantine in the COVID-19 virus outbreak. Uh, While most of us are, as citizens, are striving to comply with our uh, local, state, and national guidelines, uh, we're entering, I believe, a critical medical time in this pandemic, uh, but it's also a critical spiritual time uh, when uh, frustration can set in. It's a time when fear over an uncertain economic future uh, can grip our hearts. It's a time when even Christians uh, can become impatient with family irritated by the government, or start questioning God. It's a time when believers might be tempted to forget God's steadfast love, his scriptural faithfulness, and his sure promises of peace. Let me invite you to turn with me to Psalm 85 this morning for these last Uh, Three Lord's Days, we've been looking at different psalms about peace. We looked at Psalm 4 and then Psalm 29, and now here, Psalm 85. Psalm 85 is indeed a psalm of praise. 
It, note the beginning, the superscription. It's to the choir master, to the worship leader. And the sons of Korah, the, the song leaders, the, the worshipers of the Lord. But it's not only a psalm praising God for his forgiveness, his salvation, his gracious peace. It, that psalm 85 is also a prayer to God. Uh, we can hear uh, the psalmist's faithful pleas for spiritual revival. Bible scholars, commentaries tell us that Psalm 85 most likely was written uh, for God's people in a time of grave crisis. Uh, From all scriptural indications as well, it seems that Psalm 85 was written when God's people were returning to the promised land uh, from exile in Babylon. It was a critical time for, for God's people. Uh, One commentator, uh, Dr. Van Gameren, put it this way, in the context of some national catastrophe, the people of God cry out for deliverance from adversity since they have already experienced the outpouring of God's wrath. And so here in Psalm 85, we hear God's people crying out in faith uh, to their faithful God, and he hears their prayers. He graciously directs them in his path of peace. Uh, the, the central verse there is Psalm 85, verse 8. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. As we study Psalm 85 uh, together this morning, consider this truth, that in times of despair, may we prayerfully pursue God's path to peace. Well, how then should we be pursuing God's path to peace? It begins with a reflection, then we'll see a restoration And then Psalm 85 closes with righteousness. Let's begin there. Psalm 85, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist, uh, we see that there is a a reflection uh, on God's sure grace. In, In this opening section, the psalmist starts by reflecting back on God's gracious character his merciful work of forgiving sins. And it begins there in verse 1, as he cries out to the Lord, remember that's the name for God as our faithful covenant-keeping God. He declares, Lord, you were favorable. You know, Lord, you showed your generous goodwill to us as your people, towards your land, towards Canaan. You know, favor here is almost a synonym for grace. You know, we think of God's unmerited favor to unworthy ones. God's favor that he gives to his chosen children as they come back to the promised land. There is hope for them in, in God's grace and his favor. It's said that God's favor is acknowledged to be the cause of bringing the people back from captivity. You know, in times of affliction and distress, uh, 
You know, here's a lesson for us. Let us always remember the Lord's favor. It's not only the Lord's favor that the psalmist is reflecting on, but also it's, he's reflecting on the Lord's forgiveness. Now look at verse 2. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. That, that word for forgave uh, literally means, Lord, you carried away the guilt of your people. We see a similar scriptural truth in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now back to Psalm 85. Lord, you covered all their sin. You know, first that word all. When the Lord is at work in forgiveness, it's never partial forgiveness. Lord, you covered all their sin. You know, it's that image of sacrificial blood here, carried over into the New Testament. You know, it's the blood of Christ that covers all of our sin. You know, the, the theological word there is, is atonement. It's Christ's righteous work for us there on the cross, his shed blood that covers our sins. 1 John 1, 7 puts it this way. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. In his commentary on the Psalms, Jim Boyce, great pastor, Uh, begins with a gentle rebuke and then a a gracious promise. And his word of rebuke for us is this. We do not think how blessed we are to have our sins forgiven and to be delivered from the judicial wrath of God through the atoning death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's Dr. Boyce's encouragement. Some of the strongest salvation language in Scripture is present in these verses. You know, the Lord's favor, the Lord's forgiveness. But along with that, the psalmist speaks of the Lord's holy wrath. He's still reflecting on God's sure grace. Uh, But look at verse 3. Hear verse 3. And it's meant to be a word of hope. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. You know, the the Lord set aside his holy wrath against sin. His his burning anger. You know, we we have a, a, a sobering scriptural illustration of this. You know, back in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32, when God's people were delivered from bondage in Egypt, God had miraculously parted the Red Sea and led his people safely through. And uh, Moses is there on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from God. You know, and what are God's people doing? Uh, 
they're guilty of idolatry. They, they've made a golden calf. They're dancing around. And uh, Moses comes down. The Lord here speaking to Moses, Exodus chapter 32, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. You know, and there as Moses interceded for God's people in prayer, uh, the Lord heard Moses' plea. Uh, there, there was a, a, a price to be paid, but let us not forget God's holy wrath against sin. And how do we know that that's true as well? We know it there at the cross of Christ where Christ himself, Son of God, Savior of sinners, cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, God turned from his hot anger. Praise God. You know, two things to note in these opening verses. One, our real problem is diagnosed here, and that's the problem of sin. You know, as sinners, we deserve only God's righteous wrath and his holy judgment upon us. But here as well, uh, we see God's gracious cure for our sin problem, the shed blood of Christ. Uh, we didn't sing the hymn this morning, but there's a hymn. Uh, the tune I th- we use is uh, from Sovereign Grace, but the The hymn was originally written by a woman named Charity Lees Bancroft. She was an Irish preacher's daughter. And uh, the hymn is Before the Throne of God Above. And here, just a verse. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. You know, that's grace. Now let us always be reflecting on God's sure grace. And I say this uh, carefully, uh, but from scriptural convictions, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, the COVID-19 virus will pass. It may seem interminable now. You know, there, there is a grave crisis, but there is a, a more grave crisis, and that's the crisis of sin. But there is a gracious cure here in God's word. 
And that is the shed blood of Christ. The psalmist begins with a reflection on God's sure grace on this pathway to peace. But now in verses 4 through 9, there is a restoration of God's salvation peace. Uh, the, The psalmist pours out his heart in prayer to God. And I trust and pray during uh, this time of of the pandemic that uh, you are spending more time uh, with the Lord in prayer. Uh, But note his pleas here. He begins with the plea, Lord, restore us again, O God of our salvation. Uh, To read it originally, it would go something like this. You... You restore us again, O God of our salvation. You know, the God of our salvation graciously turns to us. His grace calls us uh, to turn to him in faith. And note here, only God can graciously save us, O God of our salvation. We'll see that that truth repeated here, not only in verse 4, but again in verse 7, then again in verse 9. It's a a wonderful theme in in Scripture. It was part of David's prayer of thanks back in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 16, verse 35. In David's prayer, uh, we read 1 Chronicles 16, 35, Say also, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, This is not only here in uh, Psalm 85, verse 4, not only a humble plea for God uh, to restore us, to turn towards us, Uh, But it's also a heartfelt plea for for God to put away his indignation for us or toward us. There seems to be this seed of doubt as we pick up here in verse 5 in the psalmist's mind. He asks the Lord, even as he's praying, Lord, will you be angry with us forever? Lord, will will you draw out your anger to all generations? Lord, is there going to be an end to all of this? You know, will your holy wrath against sinners ever cease? You know, will there be an end to evil? You know, how long? It's a question here in Psalm 85 Uh, But it's a question uh, that is even asked by God's saints in in heaven. You know, Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, Revelation 6, verse 10, we read, They, that is the saints surrounding God's throne in heaven, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You know, how long, how long, O oh Lord, will this evil continue forever? Will there be an end to this virus? And then there are some who say, well, there'll be another virus. So it's a question here. 
in the psalmist's mind. But note the personal aspect in verse 6. Will you not revive us again? You know, will you not quicken us? Will you not bring us life again? Not, not just physical life, but spiritual life. Why is he asking this? It's his heart's desire that your people, in verse 6, that your people may rejoice in you. Rejoicing by the redeemed. Gladly giving thanks to God for his grace to us in Christ. One thing that we we need to be doing, we must be doing as Christians in these days, is rejoicing. Not rejoicing in the circumstances surrounding us, but rejoicing that we can know and serve and love and worship a God who loves us in Christ. David Dixon, a minister, no stranger to sorrow in his ministry, wrote this back in 1655. Listen. Because plagues and wrath upon God's people are temporal, they may look certainly for a change for the better. And after they have smarted, or that suffered, after they have smarted for their sins for a while, may yet expect to be restored to joy and comfort again. You know, that, that's our hope, our real hope as Christians. The Lord will revive us. The Lord will bring about rejoicing in our hearts and our spirits. And, and so still with this restoration of God's salvation Peace, uh, the psalmist cries out to the Lord with this plea in verse 7, Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. You know, show us, Lord. Cause us to see. We don't see it now. We're not looking in the right direction or our eyes are blinded by our circumstances. But, but Lord, cause us to see. Your steadfast love, O Lord. Your unfailing kindness to us in Christ. Your salvation give to us. I believe here he's asking for assurance of salvation in affliction. He's praying for God's comfort in crisis. And as we looked at the other week, he's praying for peace. God's peace in the midst of this pandemic. And again, he pleads in verse 8, may I hear, you know, no, Lord, may I see, but Lord, now may I hear what God the Lord will speak. You know, he, he has a longing to hear the Lord. You know, there, there's a wonderful Bible story, true story in 1 Samuel. Our children know it, covenant children, you all might know it. It's that scene beginning of 1 Samuel where it's Samuel as a young boy is with Eli the high priest and the Lord speaks to Samuel three times and each time Samuel goes running into Eli and you know Eli were you, were you calling me were you talking to me and Eli at this point uh, tells Samuel what to do to go back and 
and to lie down and listen to the Lord. And when the Lord speaks to, to Samuel the fourth time, what does Samuel say? Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. You know, that, that ought to be our cry as well. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. The Lord speaks to us in his word. And the Lord not only speaks to us, but he, and, and note this, underline this, put a star by it, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. You know, our God proclaims his promised peace to us in Christ. You know, that, that he brings us into that right relationship with him. He reconciles us. By his death for our sins on the cross. But God continues to speak peace to his people, to his saints, those who are saved by grace through faith in Christ. But there's a final part there to verse 8. Let them not turn back to folly. You know, one of my prayers here, you know, for, for us as Christians, for his church, there is going to be an end to this uh, this pandemic, and we as Christians, I, I fear, are just going to move on. Life is normal, and I'm looking forward to that day. But we're going to ease up. We're, we're going to forget God's love, his faithfulness, his answer to prayer. And here the psalmist prays, let them not turn back to folly. Lord, let them not forget that you are not only our creator, our sovereign God, but you are a God who loves us in Christ. You promise your peace to us in Christ. You know, peace, you know, that there's that precious account there that we've already read in John 14, and I won't preach two sermons this morning. But if you look at that there, I encourage you to reread it uh, this afternoon or sometime this week. Uh, it's a critical time there in John 14 for, uh, for Jesus, for his followers. Jesus is heading to the cross. He's already washed his disciples' feet. And it, it's clearly a time of uncertainty uh, for, for God's people. You know, it was Thomas who said uh, you know, to, to Jesus, uh, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus gave that glorious gospel answer. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so here Jesus is reassuring his disciples and us. There in John fourteen twenty seven, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Back to Psalm 85, there with verse 9. Still that restoration of God's salvation, peace. A great word, truth, promise there. Surely his salvation is near, is close to those who fear him, who reverence him, who worship him, that glory may dwell in our land. 
They're returning to the promised land. They're praying for that radiant glory of Christ in their, of God in their midst. They're praying for God's gracious peace with them. You know, this morning we've already sung the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, also known as When Peace Like a River. And many Christians have heard of the story, and I'll just give a brief summary of the circumstances behind this hymn. It was written by Horatio Spofford back in about 1873. He actually was a Presbyterian born in Uh, North Troy, New York, not too far from uh, where I grew up. Uh, But he was a strong Christian, a successful businessman and lawyer. He and his family, wife and five children, lived in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, But he suffered a great financial loss in the great Chicago fire, And uh, so he sent his wife and daughters off on a cruise to Europe, uh, but their ship sank. Uh, His four young daughters drowned. Only his wife was saved. Uh, Just a a few years before, the Spofford family had lost a young son, and so at this point they were childless. And he wrote this hymn, Uh, on his voyage to his wife, to see his wife in Europe. Uh, The added accounts say that uh, he had the captain stop the ship at the same point where uh, his children drowned. Uh, but, But here, just a verse. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Just to think about that that verse again for for a minute. When peace like a river attendeth my way, you know, when, when the sun is shining, no pandemics, money in our bank account, but then when sorrows like sea billows roll, days like today, You know, whatever my lot, you know, whatever my circumstances, Lord, you have taught me to say, it's it's a learned lesson of faith. It is well with my soul. You know, back in the day, Christians would greet one another with, with this greeting. You know, how is it with your soul? It's not how are you feeling. You know, certainly it's not about baseball, football. March Madness, you know, how is it with your soul? And, and a Christian could rightly say, it is well, it's good with my soul. You know, beloved, in his sovereign love, the Lord does not spare us from stormy seas. Painful suffering. You know, and what should be our response? You know, I believe... Praying to God, praising God, you know, for his great gift of salvation, that that steadfast peace. Finally, there in verses 10 through 13, and and quickly, uh, we see the righteousness of God 
in Christ our Savior. We've not only seen the reflection on God's sure grace, the restoration of God's salvation, peace. Now we see uh, the righteousness of God in Christ our Savior. With these verses, they've been called one of the most satisfying descriptions of concord, spiritual, moral, and material to be found anywhere in Scripture. But here we see the character of God. This this psalm ends on a high note of praise. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Uh, Just as an aside, I I thought, well, the Lord is certainly not abiding by the COVID-19 guidelines. No safe distancing here, no six-foot rule. You know, here's steadfast love, his steadfast love, his faithfulness are meeting together, his righteousness, his peace are kissing each other. And, And I believe it's a wonderful picture of Christ where God's steadfast love, God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, God's peace all come together in God's Son and our Savior. It speaks of Christ's completed work of reconciliation. Therefore, faithfulness, it's an agricultural image. Faithfulness springs up, shoots from the ground. Righteousness looks down from the sky. And here there's a a note of assurance. Surely the Lord will give what is good. Surely the Lord will give what is good. Say that aloud at home. Don't doubt it in these days. Surely, Lord, you're going to give what is good to us, your children. As it says in James, every good and perfect gift is from above. Our faithful God promises to bring a renewed faithfulness to our land. And a magnificent close there to Psalm 85. Righteousness will go before him. That's the righteousness of Christ. And make his footsteps away. You know, God's blazing that trail for us. We're not stumbling about in the darkness. We're not lost in the dark. You know, God shows us his pathway to peace. A quick story and an application. In my early teen years, I loved to go hiking with my Boy Scout troop. I think it was Boy Scout Troop 34. We would often go hiking in the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. We we hiked on marked trails. They, they had blazes you know, that clearly marked the trail, and we'd cross rushing streams, go up steep inclines. Uh, these trails would lead us up over rocky terrain, and our leaders taught us that if we um, ever got off the trail, uh, just to retrace our steps and, and look again for those blazes that that marked the trail. You know, in this crisis, it would be easy to lose our way, to to get lost, get discouraged, to stumble about. You know, but here in Psalm 85, the Lord our God graciously marks the trail for our journey of faith. He, He calls us 
to prayerfully pursue his path to peace in Christ. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing, and we'll have a benediction. But let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the promises of your word that are yea and amen, sealed in Christ. And Lord, in these uh, days filled with strife and sorrow and suffering, agony, shortages, Lord, pray that we would know your peace, peace that comes through faith in Christ, peace not only for today, peace not only during Uh, this virus, but a peace, Lord, until the end of our days, an eternal peace, a lasting peace, a loving peace that comes through faith in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.